PlayStation Productions. Uh, the next Marvel? Hello and welcome to Triangle Square Day PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, Mr. Saw Bridges, bringing you guys lucky episode 113. 113. Actually, unlucky 113. Oh, well, does that carry over with every chronological up? So it's like if you get to 13 and then 113 and 213? There's a unlucky 13 in it, so I'm going to assume so. No, I'm not going to jinx us because we have a lot of stuff to do today. And we if do audio messes up, I'm going to be livid. Yeah. You guys aren't going to see this. This... Excuse me, this might actually be the first time that if we have audio issues, we just don't have an episode. Yeah. Might. There's so much to... So I hope you guys had a good Memorial Day weekend. I hope y'all were <laughs> safe. Because ours is now possibly very jam-packed. But uh, Brett, tell us who they... T- no, don't tell us who they are. are you tell, sure? Tell, tell, they tell, are the listeners they of are this the podcast. Listeners. Tell them who we are. But if you're a first-time listener of the podcast or just not too familiar with us, then we are Triangle Squared, a PlayStation-based podcast, but we talk about everybody and gaming as a whole and how it projects, how it, whatever, uh, plays along with PlayStation and everything. And... If you want to watch our lovely faces, which are not that lovely. Anyway, if you want to do that, you can go to YouTube and watch us in video format every Monday at 10 a.m. PST and 12 p.m. CST. Uh, And if you like what we're doing there, consider subscribing, hitting the bell notification. It'll let you know when these videos go live, which is every Monday, every other Friday for our reader mail that we do. And then the opposing every other Friday for a new off-topic podcast that we are doing that is called, uh, I can't actually say it because it's not technically a family-friendly name, so. With that said, if you want to go check that out, you can do so. There's a teaser for it up on YouTube right now. So patrons will get this Monday, uh, so Memorial Day tomorrow, uh, and the episode proper will go out uh, to YouTube and video format and everything else on Friday. So that is for the off-topic podcast, but enough of plugging that in. If you don't want to watch us do this podcast here, Triangle Squared, you could do you can go over to podcast services be it iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, a bunch of other ones. If there's one that you find that we're not on when you go to look, let us know and we'll get it fixed, but we should be on all of them. Uh, past that, if you want to chime in to your thoughts when you're watching on YouTube, you can go down in the comments. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you're watching or if you're listening to us through podcast services, you can hit us up us on social media. So those are our Twitter handle being Triangle SQRD, our Facebook group being Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast, asked to be entered in there, and we will gladly accept you. Saul will not be there, but you'll see us and some other members of the community. If you want to join where we are most active, it would be our Discord. We have the link for that in the description below. You can gladly join and talk with a lot of the members of the community and give your your feedback with everybody uh, and share your opinions on things that we talk about uh, through the podcast and our podcast discussion little section or anything else like that. We have some general chat, music chat. Um, you can ask us our reader mail questions over there just like you can on the other social media aspects. So if you want to join that, you feel more than welcome to. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show in any form or fashion, you can roll over to patreon.com and give us as little as a dollar to help us with hosting costs, equipment costs, all the stuff like that. Thankfully, to our patrons here, we would like to extend a huge thank you that we did not have to pay out of pocket to not only 
re-up our hosting for this show this year, but also we did not have to pay anything out of pocket to host a new podcast. So we appreciate that, and uh, we are very thankful that we have people who give us their time and their money. We realize how much that is, and that money's a very hard thing to come by, so we appreciate that support. With that said, I think it's time to get this rolling, Saul. we got to start this show off the proper way. We how sure are you, do. sir, and what you've been doing this week? Been lo- playing a lot of Destiny. A lot of Destiny. That's the only video game I've been playing lately. I have noticed. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I, I just kind of fell back into it, and I really don't plan on playing a whole lot more. I do take my vacation here kind of soon, and um, I probably will pick up Days Gone at that point. That's going to be the week of E3. So, depending on what my plans are following E3, whether I go out of town like my idea is now, or if I'm just going to hang out here, I'm going to be playing Days Gone if I do. So by then I would think it might be going to sell. If not, I'll probably use some credit card rewards to pick it up cheaper. That way you're not completely out of pocket. Yeah. I got you. I do that too. Um, All right, cool, man. So nothing else. That's not surprising. I've seen you on Destiny 2 pretty much every day this week. Uh, As for myself, I have been playing a ton of Team Sonic Racing. I even had a little day where really early on I'd barely played it, uh, where uh, Kiki and Richard, or Zeo Neon, uh, both got on and we did a team race in casuals online. It was very fun. I'm going to rely on you guys to help me get a couple of these more trophies. I think I'm aiming for platinum. The game's very fun. Uh, I enjoy it. It's not flawless. It's not perfect. But hopefully Crash Team Racing will fill all those little bit of weakness spots this has. But otherwise, it's been a great game for $40. I really enjoy it. And I think if you like kart racers, this game does something. One of the things, that, and I, I know I'm in a minority opinion on this, I tried Mario Kart for the first time since Mario Kart. Hmm. I tried Wii Mario Kart. So that was the one before 8, technically, besides the 3DS one, which was Mario seven. Kart 7. Yeah, seven, um, 7. What was the Wii one called? Did it have a surname? I don't even know. Mario Kart Wii, I think, might have been all it was. Yeah, you might be right. Uh, but anyway, I did technically play that one. But Mario Kart has never been the thing for me. I don't care for the way they separate things through the CCs. And I even then, I don't think that the sense of speed is very good on the 200cc, which is the max speed, if I recall right. Um, so for me... I don't care for that, and I also don't think that they've done enough in the mechanics range. I think that they have a game that a lot of people find feels really good, and they just keep doing that same game with newer tracks and newer people being pulled in and newer graphics, and that's fine if that's what you like. And maybe that is a little bit of an ignorant stance since I don't play deep enough into them, but I tried Mario Kart 8 on Switch when I had one because Blaze picked it up, and I was like, okay, I'll play with Blaze. That game just does not do it for me. I do not care for the way the game feels. I don't care. There's, there's something that is even wrong with Team Sonic Racing here. I always love when these games let you build a boost meter for your drifting or give and I think that this Team Sonic Racing does the same thing that if I'm remembering my time with Mario Kart 8 right does where when you drift if you drift long enough you build up a boost and then when you let go you get a temporary boost but games like Mod Nation Racers will let you drift and you'll build up a boost meter and one of my favorite things about it is I think that it's the only game that does that it probably is um but what the reason I love it and from a and it's a yeah I think for kart racers, it's the most recent kart racer I've played besides this one. Uh, so it just stays in my head. Uh, but I love the idea of a lot of the Mario Kart games have got the blue shell. And uh, a lot of kart racer games have the what's equivalent to a blue shell, which is just something that can come in and just ruin you right when you're about to win. Uh, which feels decidedly unfair to me. It should be a game about skill. And I understand that that adds a layer of hecticness. This is fun, I think, when you're playing with other people and it can kind of be crazy. But when you're really playing the game, definitely against AI, and that happens when you've been doing great up until that point, and for you to have no recourse to A, stop it from happening, or B, really retaliate in time, 
I think that that's a real big, I don't know, it, it kind of crushes the mood for me when I'm playing those games because it just feels incredibly unfair. But what I love about Mod Nation Racers is that since you can you can drift as much as you want to and drifting builds up a boost meter, then you can choose how do I want to use this boost meter. Do I want to boost with it and do I, do I want to mix and do a little bit of boosting and a little bit of shielding? Because what it lets you do if you have enough boost meter, if you time it just right, you get a temporary shield. So if somebody's going to do something that would be like a blue shell to you, you can time it just right, know it's coming, and then bam, hit the shield and then it won't hit you. But you can screw up. And if you screw up, not only do you waste your boost energy, but you also, of course, get hit with it. And then not having the boost energy means that you don't have recourse to get back up to speed. So there's a lot of management that comes with that that I think is a little bit more fair. And that's why I like those games. Team Sonic is a little more of an in-between of the two, I feel like, with the way it chooses to do stuff. But one of the things I like about it is that it's not always about winning yourself in first. It's about having your team win. So it's you and two other racers, and the teams are pre-set up. So if you're playing a Sonic, you're going to have Tails and Sonic, essentially. The closest, and it's actually funny enough, the only Mario Kart game I really ever mildly enjoyed was Double Dash. That's a good Mario Um, Kart game. And that's the only one I've liked, because mechanically I thought that was a really great idea it was more unique and it gave a sense of control to these ideas um i didn't play mario kart we i don't think i played it once or twice at tyler mccusker's house wow <laughs> so it's been a long time ago um and i think it would may have even been blazes Wii. i don't recall but i like that about this game uh, or i like that the team aspect about this game it does give it a mechanical backing that even if something does happen to me and i end up losing first as long as i don't get too far behind and say tails and knuckles are both in second and third place uh, and then i'm in fifth now as long as whoever's in first and in whatever it was first and fourth whatever you want to say uh then it would still be that i'd win because of the position they give you points per position and then the team adds that up and that's how you win i think that that's really cool and it's not the most beautiful game in the world but you know for 40 dollars, i think it's a appropriately priced game and it's really fun so uh with that said we i'm gonna go ahead and announce here that with this week, we did, uh, like I said, unveil the new off-topic podcast, and I was very caught up in all that, making sure that we were getting it on the podcast services and approved so that we can have it ready to go up Friday. Uh, and in that, I completely forgot to do the community stake section, so you can throw all that on me. We will have one next week, I promise. Uh, so we'll just have to let you all uh, gang up on me and beat me up in the chats or anywhere. That's fine. Next week, we'll get you in there, and we like the community involvement. I think that that's a fun part of the episode. So sorry that it's not going to be here this time around, but we're going to go ahead and hop into the drop. Saul, go ahead, buddy. Sure. So for those that don't know, the drop is this week's weekly PlayStation releases across all of its board. And uh, don't forget, I stopped including all the consoles unless it's, of course, or I stopped including PS4. So if it's you hear a console, it's obviously for not PS4. Uh, we have Blood and True for PSVR. Cricket 19, Day Z, Dragon Fang Z, The Rose and Dungeon of Time, Five Nights at Freddy's VR, Help Wanted for a course, VR, Golem Gate for PS4, The House in Fada Morgana for PS Vita. This is a digital cross-buy title, so you can pick this up on PS4 as well. We have Lapis X Labyrinth, Layers of Fear 2, Super Kane Magic Zero, Super Tennis Blast, Trover Saves the Universe. Now, this is a PS4 and a PSVR title, not cross-buy. We have Unruly Heroes and Warlock's Tower. Now, this is a PS4 and PS Vita cross-buy title. So, a couple in there that you could pick up for both systems at the same time. 
just to give a little bit more on the Trover Saves the Universe, it is a game. It's one game, and you can play it in VR or out of VR. It's not. That oh, you why buy would they do way. that then? Huh? Just to say that it has PSVR function. The entire game can be they played need in a VR. Tag for that. The entire game can be played on PS. I think there's a lot of games like that. Yeah, there's not. Right. There's not. I mean, well, it's getting a little bit bigger. There's a game that was a VR exclusive that patched in the ability to play it off of VR. Moss a game called The Persistence. Oh, um, no, Moss is Moss is too ingrained in VR. I think to I ever it be looks, patched out of. It looks it. really cool. Uh, I love Moss. Great game. But The Persistence was more like a first person game that I can definitely see why it would be better in VR. But for I, probably the. There's a great thing that we'll get into in a little bit uh, about you know the VR market being a weird thing where a lot of developers go into it because it's exciting, but it's not necessarily crazy for money. So in this situation, I think this is a situation where a game developer is like, there's an obvious way for this game to work outside of VR. <coughs> so what they likely did is release this VR first so that they got more news. Because if you really think about it, you're going to get... When you're a little bit more special, the upside of that is when you're doing something like VR that's a little bit more of a niche community, you're going, and it's something that's not very big and hasn't been around for so long. The benefit that they gain from just being a VR only title is that they get bigger push toward that. Right. So people are like, oh, this new VR title that was built from the ground up for VR. And it was, but then they went back and retooled a lot of the areas to say, this could work easily with minor changes as a first person game. We'll add that in later. And it's been like eight months, if not a year, since the game came out. Now we're going to do it. We have another chance for this game to get a revenue stream. And I think that that's probably smart. We saw that happen. You think about Accounting Plus. It's a game that would not be anything without the VR. But Trover, in the type of game that it's trying to be, even though it's made by the same developer, which is Crows, 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 as Accounting Plus was, uh, I think it's smart for them to go into it with it being both, kind of like what Resident Evil did. So, Okay, um, that makes sense. But, yeah, I thought that was interesting. We'll get into VR talk here in a minute, though. I guess it's time to move over into the news. It is. So, with that said, Saul just hit his code and entered it in. I need to do the same for mine. I actually entered it. I just have not downloaded it. Neo 2 is going the same route as the first game, with alpha codes having been sent out to users last week for alpha tests that will continue through the week until June 2nd. They are using feedback to put back into the game to hopefully make a better final product for the fans. So you can check your email to see if you got a code and if you if you haven't gone and checked it yet or if you don't get notifications. Now, one thing that we noticed was interesting. I noticed a lot of people just from talking and seeing different things where a lot of people who d either didn't have interest at all in the first game or maybe played it but didn't finish it seemed to be getting codes more so than people that finished the first game. Uh, and I've seen that across the board. I've seen a lot of people giving codes away because they said that they just dipped their toe into Neo and realized it wasn't for them. I almost wonder if this was a targeted alpha code send out to send to people who played either the first game's alpha and then didn't pick the game up or played the first game and didn't get very far or maybe didn't beat it for whatever reason. And this is them going, okay, let's give the alpha out to them. We know we have a game that works for the fans who went through and beat the first game, but maybe we can use a little bit of feedback to make a game that would be more likely to pull in people that this game did not seem to, to touch with very, you know, and I think that that is a, it would be interesting. We don't know if that's the case, but I could see that. Um, right. Because a user example, Sean, one of our community members and friends, um, beat the first game and loved it, didn't get a code. Saul and I both got pretty far in the first game, but for different reasons didn't beat it. I didn't beat it because something else came out. And much like Sekiro, 
I got too moved out from the game and then just didn't go back to it in time. Uh, so I just still haven't haven't finished it. Where I saw save file got corrupted. So yeah. when you look at that, if they're able to look at the stats and say, "Well, he didn't beat the game, but he played it." Wonder what made him quit. Let's let him play the alpha, give his feedback. Um, if this is a curious question, Saul, but if you had to say from what you the little bit that you know about Neo Two so far that I've told you, which is like you know the character creator and stuff right. like that, no longer been playing as William. If you had to say, based off of the time of the first game and the information you have for the second game so far, what feedback would you give based pr- primarily off the first game that you think would make a better second game to I, you? I don't know. You don't know? Anything? No, yeah. Like, Are you too far removed from the game and then too and then too closely familiar with Sekiro to feel like you really can tap in? Pretty that? much, yeah. Like, There's not much I remember that, about that game that I had massive glaring issues with. So I think it sits pretty evenly on the board right now for me, at okay. least. I don't really see any problems with it that bad. I just save file corrupted, which happens with every game. So, and then when I try to go back into it and play it again, either something came up or I just lost interest in it, which isn't a negative fault for the game. I lost interest in Sekiro, and I love that game. So it's just one of those things that like I'll eventually go back and beat it. Sure, but working and being full time is hard with wanting to play some certain times of games, which is why Destiny works so well. Throw a podcast on or throw a YouTube video on and sit there and grind out stuff in Destiny. Well, and it's something that works well. Destiny specifically is something that works well with being able to jump in, do something kind of bite-sized, get your then, weekly done, and then bounce immediately off. jump out, yeah. yeah. So I'm with you. And then games like Sekiro are a little more like, one more try. Yeah. And then it ends up kind of taking all your time, and you're like, damn. Um, but... With that, next thing up, Suda51 and Grasshopper Interactive announced that cult classic follow-up spinoff, Travis Strikes Again, No More Heroes, which released on Switch earlier this year, is making its way to the PS4. It No date has been given so far or a window even announced, but we might see it coming at E3 in a couple of weeks because earlier this year he mentioned that the game might have some kind of a presence at E3. Um Curious to see that. This is a follow-up to a real, you know, the, the Travis, oh, what is it? Travis. Touchdown. Touchdown. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know why I couldn't remember that off the top of my head. Well, it's um, no more heroes. Now, what's interesting about it, but yeah. Travis Touchdown. Yeah, but he's the character. character. What's interesting about it is why he doesn't consider it to be a sequel to No More Heroes It is too. not a sequel. He for, considers for, it to be a fresh start for the character. For what I've, yeah, for what I've read, it's it's pretty much just expect the same universe. It is not the same game, not the same gameplay. It's quite yeah, different. The loose premise is that you get sucked into a haunted console or a cursed console or something, and you have to play through the games in the console. Weird idea, but if you like those types of games, specifically the Suda 51 games, and there you go. Uh, next up, if rumors are to be believed, THQ Nordic will be showing a reboot of the Destroy All Humans franchise alongside a new take on the Darksiders IP with a game set to be titled Darksiders Genesis at this year's E3. You know, these are rumors, and this is getting into E3 rumors, which are always fun just because they're really interesting and trying to see why people come to these conclusions. And, and if there is it just a conclusion that's being reached or is it really a leak that is not necessarily true? You don't know, but rumors spring off of that. In this case, there are rumors, but there also is uh, a screenshot that was nabbed during an AMA that they did back in February that they got a lot of hell for. But also, many users believe this to be true due to the descriptions given of two games that they say are coming up. One, a, quote, long-awaited return of a galactically beloved game slash franchise, galactically being the very key word in that situation. And the other, a, quote, new vision of a beloved game slash franchise, end quote, seemingly fitting the two franchises, which I understand the first one definitely does seem to be something more space-oriented, which would be Destroy All Humans, something that people have been asking for a long time. And then 
the only thing I, I don't necessarily know about a new vision of a beloved game franchise being necessarily Darksiders, so it could be. The Genesis name came from the, the rumored picture and leak that was grabbed. Which would be weird, right, with everything coming out lately with Darksiders? It would be weird because it seems like Darksiders 3 performed expectations and we would be getting a Darksiders 4. But what is Darksiders this, this Genesis? Not, not, not this soon. That's something. This would not be Darksiders four, right? But what is this? Is this another game just in the Darksiders universe? That's kind of kind of do. Okay, like a game that I don't think that you played, but I, I know we've at least talked about. But you might have played it. Do you remember Overlord on PS3? I played it. Okay, and it's kind of like Pikmin. It was kind of like Pikmin, but with a little more combat oriented yeah. to it, and actual kind of normal RPG combat. And they were just an added element. Well, then they came back with a new Overlord game this generation that was more like a Diablo style game that was nothing like the original, but it was set in that world. And I wonder if this could be a situation like that where it's a different genre, but it's using the world and potentially characters of Darksiders to do a kind of a spinoff. So almost like the No More Heroes thing we just talked about. Exactly. And I don't know for sure, but the other thing about that is that THQ Nordic owns the, the, uh, the Saints Row rights. And Saints Row is a game that a lot of people love and a lot of people have been asking for, and there's been some teases about it. And there's a chance that Saints Row would be coming back in a slightly different form since it's been gone for a little while. And if that was going to happen, I could see it being teasing that. Right, but which would be which would be interesting because we have Volition in, in Saints Row Two or do or Saints Row or do we have that conversation not too long ago? We have that Volition's the developer okay, for that, Saints yeah. Row, if I'm remembering right. Uh, so they, they were the people around? behind it. I I don't know actually. Because um, see, that's my only thing is like I haven't heard of Volition in a while now. They may have made a game like a month ago and I didn't know. But um, they are still around. They okay, are good. they are not defunct. Good. So yeah, Deep Silver own, owns them, but Deep Silver is part of the THQ Nordic group. Right. So that's why I say it could be that. Because, All in that nice Nordic umbrella. Exactly, because another thing coming up, and I'll go ahead and, well, we'll keep going through this, because uh, it, it comes up at the end of this. Uh, so while we're on the topic of THQ Nordic, I have a couple of news things that we're going to do about that. So it was announced that Metro Exodus, which is published by Deep Silver, right. but THQ Nordic considers it under their thing, uh, has become the largest game launch in the history of the company. The game has apparently performed within expectations and has already recouped all the budget for development and marketing. Considering that the season pass just went on sale, I find that interesting because what that means is that from this moment moving forward, the game essentially just has a profitable shelf life, Yeah, and that's good. And I still need to jump into that. I enjoyed because, that game. Not perfect. None of them are, but they they have charm. Well, it's one of those things that's like, for a first-person shooter that doesn't have a big multiplayer aspect to it, I'm only going to pay like 30 bucks for it for the story. I don't blame you. And see, you came into Metro specifically with Redux, right? Yeah. So you only paid, even if you bought it day one, which I don't bucks, think you did, right? then 30 or $40 uh, for bought, two games? I bought it day one, and then I bought it day one on Xbox One. Did you? Yeah. Did you play both of Redux on Xbox One instead of on PS4? Yeah. That goes to show how long it's been since you've had an Xbox, and I just forgot. That was my that was my very first Xbox One. That was my launch Xbox One mm-hmm. that I played it on. Yeah, before um, you had a PS4. Before I had a PS4, yeah. Yeah. And then I recently I've rebought them. They went on sale for like three ninety nine or four ninety nine a piece, yeah. uh, and I bought both of them again. Okay, they're so, good games. I they like are. Them. Yeah. Uh, so especially the library part in the first one. Oh yeah. Spooky. Yeah, 2033. Yeah. They're all great games, and I actually really liked what they did with 2033 of bringing it back with a little bit more modern mechanics based yeah. off of Last Light. Um, the gas yeah. filters and everything. Yeah. The I thought gas well, mask filters. Yeah, well, being able to break it and how you change it and everything. It just, 
it was kind of like a refined version of what was already in the original. Right. But the original was an Xbox 360 exclusive. exclusive I'm a little surprised that you didn't play it. Well, it was just, it came in that weird period where like Mass Effect was an exclusive just because the PS3 wasn't out yet. Yeah. Or, or it was out, but it was it really was new developed. and it was really hard to develop yeah. on. So it's like 2033 ended up coming to PlayStation in some form or fashion with the Redux. The very... And then you had situations where like Mass Effect 1 came to PS3 eventually with the Mass Effect trilogy. Didn't, didn't 2033 come to PS3 by the end of the gen? Nope. Wow. Yeah, they never bothered because it is technically a double-A game. I don't think that they saw much of a market for it. It makes sense. But they Last Especially Light came to PS3 on, on launch. Yeah, so. which Hard is weird. Um... Let's see one last dump of THQ Nordic stuff, and then we'll move on. Uh, they have confirmed from themselves that Dead Island 2 is still happening despite years of development hell. The game showed up as part of a presentation during their quarterly final financial earnings call. Uh, no more info was given outside of, quote, stay tuned. So I think that this seems really unlikely for an E3 candidate for this year, but it technically is possible. So who knows? You might see more of it if that's your kind of thing. Uh, that's also under the Deep Silver umbrella. Uh, the first game was published by Deep Silver, and so was Riptide. Isn't that what the, the, the shoot-off game was called? Um, yeah. During the 360 and PS3 generation. Uh, anyway, on top of that, the publisher has acquired Piranha Bytes, which if you don't know who they are, they are a developer out of Germany who developed the gothic RPG series, which I don't know if... I mean, by by visuals, I can tell exactly what it is, even if not. So I feel like you may know just by seeing a picture of what it was. They also did the Risen RPG that was on Xbox and Xbox 360, or Xbox 360, and I think they had one on Xbox One. And more recently, they developed the game Elix. Um, and that to me is interesting because this is just them continuing their hoarding of weird double A IP. Yeah. Not weird in a bad way. It's just, these are games like Gothic is a really old series. Risen has been more than around for more than one generation. I don't even know, honestly, but it's been around for a long time because there was Gothic four on PS three. So probably was on PS two. Um, but yeah, so that's just them hoarding a bunch of double A IP in an interesting way. I mean, that that's, it makes you wonder because, like, there was a thing recently talked about the number of games. I think it's forty six games they have that are unannounced. Uh, some ridiculous number. Don't quote me completely on that, but it's a lot. So when you look at it under that idea, it's like, why do you get all these IPs? Some of them just have to be to sit on, and just because it's essentially it's equity at that point, they can they have it to do whatever they want to with it at some point if they ever needed to. But also they can come back and re release the games, remaster them, all those things if they wanted to. Um, so. Have you ever played any of their games? Nope. I've played Gothic Four, uh, Arcana. I think was what the and it was on it, it ran really poorly. And it was on PS3. I bought it as a weird, just looking at the shelf and the case looked cool. But I think the game had promise if it would have run right. Um, so why can I not find a solid answer on Gothic One and where it, where I where I never mind. It. That's a different. So I didn't realize that. So that wasn't made by Piranha Bytes. So that was called Arcana. Gothic 4. Made by Spellbound Entertainment and Black Forest Games. So is published it... by Joe Wood Entertainment, <clears throat> THQ Nordic, GMBH? So that's interesting. So it's technically... Oh, that's the name. That's, that's an offshoot of one of their studios. Weird. Look, More importantly, saying... it is part of the Gothic series, but it wasn't developed by them. So Part that's interesting. Interesting. Okay, well, there you go. That's my only experience with the thing, but I have visually seen it. I'm really curious what this acronym is, or if this is even an acronym. It's even on their website. I have no clue. 
Yeah, it's weirdly capitalized. Maybe it's a foreign thing. I do not know. Oh, weird. Yeah, I don't know. I've never even seen a THQ Nordic with that. Well, I've never. Oh, it's a it's an abbreviation of a, the German phrase, which means company with limited liability. Oh, okay. So it's like a LLC here. Okay, that makes sense. Limited liability corporation. I know, but it's just okay. I guess it's just because that's, that's what it is. Then that's that's what I thought. It's the foreign translation of LLC. Of that, yeah, yeah, because they're out of Austria, so that makes sense. Weird, but oh. makes sense. I broke my finger. All right, next up, going back to E3 teasers, another one comes from Warner Bros. and TT Games, who have teased that they are set to reveal an unannounced game at the event. Now, I have to imagine, with it being these two people and what you normally get from them, I don't even know if there's an example of not getting this, very likely a Lego game, pretty much guaranteed. I wonder if it's going to be Lego Star Wars. Uh, Now, this is based off of, oh, it's like April this year, I think, um... One of the voice actors, specifically the voice actor for General Grievous, mentioned something about, excuse me, them doing another Star Wars Lego game. Why is it always like the weird off voice actors that spoil everything? I I don't know. It's always I think, like, I think General Grievous has been voiced by the same person the whole time, but it may well, not, not be saying, true. I'm not saying like, he's but bad he's or not, but he's not necessarily a huge character. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, like he's not a household actor name like Mark Hamill is or Ewan McGregor. That's true, or but maybe it's just because Hayden they get to be household names by being a little more professional. Even though I will say, General Grievous is a really, really cool villain. He is. I love him. And actually, I really love the old... That, Attack I thought that, of the Clones? Yeah, the original yeah, one that was where, done by the Samurai Jack Windu people. crushed his uh, chest plate, and that's why he coughs in, in awesome. episode three, which is no context because even though... Incredibly three, no context, yeah. but it's just a character trait in episode three. Episode three is one of the best Star Wars movies, fight me, if not the best. Thank you, son. Fight me. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give you the fight choreographer for that movie, and you won't beat him because them fights were amazing. <laughs> I'm telling you, imagine them going back and finding a way to recreate the CGI backgrounds of that movie just where they didn't look so bad. Because there's they a couple look, of them. They don't even look that bad. There's a couple for, of them. They didn't age that badly. No, I watched them like, like the lava scene still looks fantastic. Yeah. And that was full CGI. It's just a couple bad green screens. The, yeah, what it is is that there's a particular part um, in three, right before they're going outside of the lava environment where they're in a room and the room looks weirdly flat. It's because of the lighting was probably done better. Yeah, so it's just, you know. Or the lighting of the, you know. The way the they shading. did procedural CGI yeah. or something. And it may even been that, that there was lighting for the that, film. That often that clashed. Yeah. There's yeah. a scene in the last Game of Thrones episode where um, somebody's walking up a big old giant thing of stairs and it's just like that. You can almost see the green glow on them. It's just like, why? <laughs> Anyways, All right, next thing up. The Star Ocean franchise is getting another entry on PS4, though this time around, much like the last time, it is a HD port of an existing game. So this time around, it's Star Ocean First Departure R. So that is a HD port of the PSP entry that was in itself a remake of the first Star Ocean game that came out back on the Famicom long time ago. I think in 96. Finally, a good Star Ocean game to PS4. <laughs> Star Ocean 4 is not bad. I didn't play Star Ocean 4. 4 was the one that was a 360 PS3 release. Um, and it, it, don't get me wrong, it's of the of the time, Star Ocean 3 is a lot better, and Star Ocean 2 is a lot better. Actually, and I, I, and play I played 4. Star Ocean First Departure on uh, PSP, and it was great. What uh, what was the uh, the one that was bad that came out? Star Ocean 5, Integrity and Faithlessness. Yeah. And it's not that it was just bad. There was so much wrong with that game. But there was stuff wrong with it. And the, it... The thing that irked me the most was the jittery walking. Because what was weird about that game is that when it was still, 
when it nothing was, was moving, it looked gorgeous. But when you start walking, it's almost like your ankle is just like playing catch up with the rest of your body. Well, the thing about that is, do you, okay, I know that I let you borrow it. Did you? Pl- I bought, how, I bought how it. Much? Hold on, I bought that no, hold release. On. I'm talking about something else. Oh, okay. And it's going to tie into this. I, I let you borrow Tales out. of Vesperia. Or not Vesperia, sorry, Zillia. You, you're talking about a game you let borrow six years ago. Okay, but do you not remember having a somewhat similar feeling in that game? I don't remember anything about that game except okay. like a ballroom area that goes outside the snow. Okay. That's it. Well, I was curious because I, I feel like, looks like that's somewhat involved with them. Like the, that game series has the same thing where I don't know what it is. If it's just because it's a budget game, you have to get you have to get know, used to a very odd. There's movement. a lot of cliche slash tropes slash problems. I don't want to say that word. Overall, it's definitely it's the worst game JRPG, in the series. Yet. JRPGs typically have these little things that you overlook because they're JRPGs. Yeah. And that was when I could just get overlooked because the way the camera was set up, you literally could not not see it. Yeah. And I could not get used to it. I feel you. Uh, anyway, so right now there's no release date or window that was given, but last time they did this with the HD port of the fourth title, uh, that didn't take so long to get out. So I would imagine it's something we'll see soon, probably within the next six months. I hope so. Cause that'd be fun. I'm, I've been looking for a good JRPG to play. So Chad, I, Liam, Kiki, all you guys in our discord, let me know something to play. If I'm not mistaken, Star Ocean 3 is a PS2 classic on the PS4. No, 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 no. I, don't, I, don't, I want a PS4 game. I don't blame you, but dude. Even Star Ocean 2 is really good. Till the End of Time is it's, so it's, amazing. In my opinion, the best one. That's Star Ocean 3. I love that game so much. Um, I have that game, actually, still, and I could play it on my PS2 if I wanted to. Honestly, but I could get trophies on the, the Until the End PS4 of Time is the, best, is the best Star Ocean to me. I will agree with that. Um, but anyway, we'll move on to the next thing. I want something new. Okay. In a recent... Well, it's new to you, I guess, because you never played Star Ocean 1, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, gotcha. In a recent interview with CNET, Sony's head of R&D for the PlayStation, Dominique Mallinson, discussed PlayStation VR's plans for next-gen by first confirming that the next-gen system will not launch with a new headset beside it, but instead follow the same pattern that the first one did, where the PSVR will release a couple of years after the system has been on the market. The next-gen system does support the existing headset, after all, so that's something to keep in mind. Uh, he also talked about things that they view as important moves in the tech, as well as things we might could see on the new headset as they internally try and balance price to performance and features. And I'm glad he said that. I've seen a lot of people, and I know it's just the nature of clickbaity titles, and there's very little you can do about that. But I've even seen some people write the article where they don't really stress enough that this is potentially going to be on the system as they work out exactly what they want to do. A lot right. of it's just been like, he mentioned these things, so they're going to be on the next headset. And, he, and that's not at all what he said. These are things he'd like to see on the next set, but they're trying to balance between price, you know, and how well it's going to work in the systems that they're doing. So one thing that people are talking about, as he said, is that they were talking about wireless console free and that's not going to happen he actually talked about that very specifically is that while he really is looks at the oculus quest which is a new vr headset that does not have to have anything it's completely powered by the goggles and it's lightweight and really free easy to move because there's no cables uh he said that in this situation that's just really hard to do and since a lot of people are going to be doing this in 
their living room anyway. He doesn't. They don't view VR as something that people are going to just want to take around within the hotels and stuff and easily set. Like, right. you know, dude, yeah, that's he I would thinks, be a nightmare. Exactly. He thinks that this is something that most people would do uh, in the comfort of their living room. So mm-hmm. the console will be there anyway. Why not benefit from the console's power? Unless you could have like this really cool carrying case that everything is stored in and charges everything. I mean, and it's possible. Something like something like a dock that you typically use, and then you could just fold it up and carry it around with. You. I think the reason I say that is in a hotel room, you're not comfortable with your surroundings, like you are in your own living room. What I mean lock by that door and get butt naked. That's not oh. what I mean. What I mean is that you're not familiar with what's around you. Your, your spatial right, sense yeah. is not what it is in your living room. Cause you go to, you're in your living room so often that you're like, Oh, the couch. even if you're standing and not looking at you, are like the couch is three inches behind my leg. Yeah. And then, um, the bed situation's weird too. And a lot of the, having to set up the camera and stuff. If there even is the camera, these are all things we don't know about, uh, but yeah, it's gonna have to have a camera. I thought, well, I I, but I don't think that the Oculus Quest does. I don't think it does either. But I'm just saying, so, like, I, the, the Oculus Quest is expensive too. It gets weird. Anyway, moving on to the other stuff he was talking about. He does talk about true wireless headsets for improved freedom, eye tracking, which is actually he called it gaze tracking, but it's specifically talking about your eye and being able to have something that will look at where your eye is looking in the game so that there are things that can use that feedback to either focus on the point. Like if you're focusing on something, it'll shift the rendering power to make it look more detailed than things are outside so it'll render certain parts based off of where you're looking and how quickly it can do that in real time which sounds promising but also expensive lighter overall headsets is one thing he talked about and the potential for mixed reality capabilities with pass-through cameras like we've seen a couple of other vr headsets use but not necessarily a uh what do they call those things he, he specifically mentioned the magic oh lord what was it called the company that had the thing where it's all about doing Magic Loop? Is that what it's called? Oh, Magi- I have no idea. That Magic doesn't Leap? sound familiar to me. Okay, yeah, it's called the Magic Leap. It's a VR, but not... Or it's not a VR, it's AR. And the way it works is completely two lenses that are set up to where when you look through them, instead of it being that there's a camera and that is giving you information through a normal OLED thing, this is a lens that you can completely see through. And then it also has holograms that it'll project over the top of it. So it's AR. Yeah. Well, it's not VR though. That's what I'm saying. But what VR has done in some things is a mixed reality by doing somewhat like this, but using a camera on the outside to pass through what's on the outside into the screen on the inside without having to have a see-through lens. Gotcha. And that way you can pull certain things from the real world into the game world. Whereas AR tries to pull things from a game world into the real world. If that makes sense. Um, But a couple other things uh, he talked about, they finish by talking about, or actually another one of his remarks before I get to that is regarding the need for something better than the move controller setup and the obvious replacement of that alongside the new headset. Now I like that he talked about this. They actually talked about the whole thing about getting PSVR going was trying to get it as cheaply out as possible. And that by creating something better at the initial VR launch would have taken more R and D time, 
more R&D money, and they were already at a point where the headset was at a cheap, affordable price. They were getting good feedback based off of what they already had, and that the tech hadn't come far enough necessarily in their mind that they could have done something a lot better for a lot cheaper. So it's better to use the Move technology since they already had to move it, use it in the headset. Now, what I think is interesting about this is this sounds like they're actually talking about moving forward. What are they going to do to actually replace this? And I hope that it's something more along the lines of what we've seen from other VR uh, headsets where there are controllers that look at things in terms of like they have extra buttons so that you can actually put pressure on the button from your hand and it's just around the grip so that it can kind of mimic your fingers yeah, and stuff like that's really important that today at work because i was asking him like what should we talk about if we don't have a topic lined up and he actually brought up vr and i was like well we technically covered vr before and yeah but there's be times also where we revisit topics but thankfully there's a good topic yeah um but anyway, they finish by talking about the health of the VR market with PSVR currently sitting at 4.2 million units sold so far, but that the future of the medium will lend to a more mass market appeal as the tech improves, which I do think is true. I think that it's very clearly to say that even with 4.2 million units is impressive for PSVR, and they are by far the market leader. But it's nice to me that they're humble enough and look and say, this is still niche. This could still be given a lot more market based off of a better product that's more accessible for a wider range of people and games that can hit more genres that people like um so do you i it now that we know one of the things that we talked about a while back that's a weird video um one of the things we talked about a while back i'm not watching a video by the way guys it just paused on a gif on twitter yes um but one of the things we talked about a while back was specifically that in your own mind since we had no information about the next gen PlayStation that you personally hoped that they would not include VR in the chipset. Oh, the more no, that they're no, talking no, no, about no, it only I was, I said, I'd rather oh, them include right. backwards compatibility over VR. But now we know to, that it will be both. Yes. Now, now I'm perfectly okay with that. Okay. It's yeah. one of those things. that's like, I, I don't want them, even though it sounds like it's a misstep to some people because it's like, why well, live in the past when we could be in the future. But it's just now that I now now that we know that PS5 can play with PS4 players and that there's backwards compatibility, it's going to be a seamless transition. It's going to be what I like so much about playing Games Pass uh, on Xbox versus PC and stuff about how seamless it is for party chats and joining people despite being on two different consoles. Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, that's the kind of cool stuff about this generation I'm excited for. Well, okay, from what you're hearing here, do you? Because I know right now you're still just kind of mildly at most interested in VR. I, I, no, I'm interested. I'm just waiting for a sale. Well, yeah, because right the, now the you price. don't view what you get. You don't view what you're getting as worth what the price is. No, it's not that. It's that there's not a lot that PlayStation has to offer. The Quest is $400. Hmm? I can go get the Quest, and I feel like I could do Beat Saber or Custom Songs, and then every other game except, you know, Moss and Astrobot. I'm curious about that, because one of the things, and I didn't include it in news, is actually, I've I, I realized it right after we were recording last week, so I just kind of like, whatever. P, the... Whatever the game Beat Saber is going out of what they consider to be its beta, beta phase, yeah, and you're going to be able to make your own songs even in PS4 from what they're saying. Making your own songs is one thing, though. But, but what does that to, mean? Yeah, that's what I mean. Is the, can you pull your own tracks in and then bake something to them, or is there I, legality yeah, that's a probably, problem there? It's legality is probably going to be a problem there, at least on Sony's side. I don't know why. And even then, would you actually be able to on the Oculus Quest? have custom uploaded songs because there's technically not a computer or anything to mod them out. Is it a separate version of the game? I would That's a question a I don't know. Of the game, but even then, the Oculus uh, Rift is what? 450 now? It's cheaper. Maybe. I, I Honestly, I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. just... It's, PSVR is down to what? 300 new, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Depending on where you find it, yeah. I'm waiting for... See, because like, the only thing I'm worried about with that is that there's... 
Beat Saber I would get and Moss right now. And so like, I keep my eye on it. Then there's other games I would get for just the fun part or like the little tech demo things like sure. Job Simulator. Something I don't see myself playing a whole lot of, but something to play for every now, every now and then to have you know fun. But um, let's see. The Oculus Rift hmm. Plus with... Touch uh, touch versus reality system is six fifty or five sixty nine. Okay, but that's the one that has those new um, controllers that yeah. actually has feedback. And Which stuff I also them. like those yeah. as well. So, so okay. Well, I was just curious where you stood because I mean I know that you've mentioned a few times that if you could get it for two hundred or under, that you'd be more interested in getting a VR. Yeah, if I can catch it on sale like I did last summer for two hundred dollars, I'd pick it up instantly. And I and the sad thing was I literally missed a sale by hours. Yeah, and I regret it. Okay. Well, there we are. Moving on to the next thing. Saw the game we were talking about a little bit. I think we even mentioned it last episode. But Ancestors, the Humankind Odyssey, has been announced to be releasing in December for consoles, and it's coming a little bit earlier for PC. So if you have any interest in that game showing off last E3, kind of a survival game that moves through the decades, or I don't really know how it's going to move through time, but it's going to be starting very long ago, early in evolution, uh, if you believe in that thing. <laughs> By the way, I, I forgot. I did not know they were selling the headset now for $200. Yeah. Okay. But that's also, I'm pretty sure, Gen 1. I'd have to look. I mean, probably so, but this doesn't have the move controllers. It doesn't have, like, I'm talking about the bundle for people that are, that the bundle went on sale with Borderlands for $200. And you got the camera, the move controllers, and Borderlands all for $200. I don't remember if it was that. I thought that, I think that one was 250 That one might have been 250 yeah. There was one with Gran Turismo that came with a camera and everything for, um, and the game for 299 yeah. yeah. So, uh, anyway... Next up, the Order 1886 developer Ready at Dawn have revealed that they are working on an unannounced AAA console title. Since 1886, they have released a number of titles, including the critically acclaimed VR title Lone Echo. They say they plan to take some of the lessons they've learned in the VR space while working in the VR sphere and translate those over to the console title with a focus on player agency and not removing control from the players as often as they did in the Order. And they realize that Players are often not going to do what you want them to do, so you have to build a game that's going to work around what they're going to do as well. Uh, and I think that's pretty cool because even though I love the order, I can clearly state some of its faults, and that is one of them. It takes it puts odd control in your hand sometimes, where you have control, but it's very limited because they're trying to it's get you to do very like, specific what's the point? thing. Yeah, it's almost like like this could be a cutscene, and that's what that was my biggest like one of the biggest the examples. Um, and this is one of the only things that really irks me a lot about the game is definitely went on subsequent playthroughs. Uh, is when you're going through and like you pick up uh, there's a part of the game where you pick up the gun that has the lightning rail thing on it that's really cool that's the that Tesla makes yeah, for Tesla. you and you pick it up and the game forces you even though it gives you control it's very minimal control it's just an axis tilt where you look at the gun and you have to sit there and move the analog stick a ridiculous amount of times for like ten seconds you have to do that for like, a couple items to go like to get the platinum exactly yeah it's just like and it, it's it's and a very well not even that there are parts in the game that you have to do it at well what's bad which game is really annoying. in this game was that there are things you have to pick up for collectibles and it does not tell you you got them yeah you just got to rotate them and like I hope this counts mm -hmm. yep yeah, yeah, there's no collectible which there's a couple it's of a games that have game suffered with from that good lore but man was ten dollars what i paid for it worth the price yeah i like it it's good if you can find it on sale for 10 bucks pick it up it's frustrating at times but it's really good i really started whenever it, it went Play on to, the hardest when it went to 20 dollars brand new i started telling people there i was like yeah. i think the game is easily worth i mean i would $20. say 20 bucks yeah yeah it's it's a solid eight but it, hours you can catch it for under 20 now uh, yeah. often so you, yeah I, there was on sale on psn sale for 5.99 like not long ago two months ago yep 
so anyway, the new title from them is in early prototyping stages. It's being funded by the developer themselves, uh, though that doesn't necessarily mean it's being funded by them right now. That doesn't mean that they won't be looking for outside funding once the game gets further in development uh, and will likely not be seen until next-gen consoles already have a couple of years under their belts, according to the CEO. I can, I'm not going to say his name because I can't ever say it. It's like, woo... Rue with rear Syria. I can't say it. So, Hey, there we go. If somebody wants to tell me how to say it. I would love that. Uh, Next up, though, Square Enix revealed a new trailer for their Tokyo RPG Factory. And if you don't know, that's the team behind I Am Setsuna and last year's last uh, The Lost Sphere. It's an action RPG called Onanaki. The game received a release date of August 22nd for Japan and still holds a summer release window for the West that might be revealed during the publisher's E3 presser. Not sure. That also could move, but right now, that is still what it's saying. That, that may be the game that fills my JRPG hole. Because Dude, it looks I so good. Sooner, I've been wanting to play that game for so long, and it looks like my perfect kind of game. And Lost Fear goes with the grain as well. As well. I want to play that game so much. And now, this one, if, if you can't tell by my note there, have you seen the trailer for it? No. Okay, dude, it looks it's it's an action RPG, so it's real time. It looks like JRPG Diablo. So, I'm I'm curious as to where you're going to stand on it, but I mean, you can roll through just a little bit of the gameplay that's there and it's pretty interesting. Oh my gosh, just seeing that right there is pretty dope. Yeah, so it's got kind of interesting builds. It looks like it's going to be focused around the same idea of Diablo where you're going to Excuse me. Is this a switch? Have exclusive? different class classes? I'm not sure. Very okay, well no, it's right be. here. It's just the first two videos. I didn't think up for so. Nintendo Switch. I about to say I thought that it, I would have brought it up here if it was a Switch exclusive. That'd be embarrassing. <laughs> but um, no, it's on Steam Switch. Probably, yeah. presumably Xbox as well. Even though I can't see that. Oh, actually, no, it's not on Xbox. Oh, that's the one system. It's presumably not on. incorrect. Uh, that's right. I mean, we had this conversation with Sankoff and Mr. Chad, a patron. Thank you, sir. Uh, he's the one actually that brought this up before I ended up seeing it again when I was rolling through news. But he showed it, and and that's when I first noticed. I was like, "Is this just if Blizzard did a JRPG version of Diablo?" But Please it looks awesome. Tell me, this is multiplayer. If this is multiplayer, all my boys in Discord need to get a Switch because I'm not buying it on PS4. Because this kind of game works so well on handheld, I learned that with Diablo Three on Switch. And well, I, I hate to tell you, you're gonna have a Switch by then. I ain't gonna be playing with you. Listen, I'd be buying that on PlayStation because that would be a platinum game. I got, I got, you, I got you some some sources about what we're gonna see at E3, and you gonna get a, you gonna get a Switch. We'll see. We'll talk about that off camera. (laughs) Moving on, though, the next thing, the Dark Pictures Anthology, which I talked about last week. They were going to tease something and reveal it on Monday. Uh, Man of Medan, or Madan, received a release date of August 30th and is the first installment. This is where they've kind of dug into more of what this is going to be. It's the first installment of a series in a series of unconnected stories with each installment featuring a new setting and cast of characters. So it does seem that... Also, we're already on the Sony PS TV talk. (laughs) <laughs> uh, anyway, it does seem like this is going to be a standalone. There won't be multiple episodes of Man of Medan or Madan, as Saul said. It's just all going to take uh, place. It'll and... just be one, and then yeah. the next episode will be another. Now, the only thing that fi- I find weird about that is that means if if that is the case, and that is everything that they have put out, that's what it looks like. The problem with that I see is how long is going to be between these episodes unless they have multiple teams working on them, which they very well could. If it's the same team, the issue I see happening is Telltale already had problems getting their games out on time, and we've seen other developers get a little bit better at it, but that's because they're reusing assets because they're in the same setting, and they're doing it across the same setting, and sometimes introducing a new building or something, but it looks similar. Now, if you're going to do this and it's going to be episodic, and the next episode won't be Man of Madon, but instead it'll be something else, 
with a new setting and new characters, that means you're having to create art for new characters, art for the new setting, work all that into 3D. So there's either two teams that are going to be bounced between these, so they have equal time between release to I'm work sure on. Have to share a creative vision. And well, they're going to they, work. I don't know. I was going to say a work a workflow. Like they're going to have to hit certain deadlines. Certain maybe times. yeah. Is this this is the only game that's ever done this, right? And yeah, that epi- I've ever an seen. An episodic game that's different for every episode that I've ever it's seen. Very yeah. very similar to Black Mirror. Yes, it's actually, very, that's a good that's a good example. It's very you know every single game that comes out, even though it's part of probably the same universe, uh, is different. Yeah, and they did say that this is technically the same universe, but they're all going to be unconnected stories. Yeah, I there like, may be Easter eggs or something. I like stuff like, but that. it won't yeah. be connected otherwise. So I'm not a huge fan of uh, episodic games, but well, you know the other upside of that is it it, it solves one of the biggest problems with episodic games. Having to remember the story, which is the weight. Yeah. And having to feel like you remember the story and staying involved with it and then waiting because they left you on a cliffhanger. Instead, this should get wrapped up in its own thing. And then the wait is just for whatever they're doing next. Not so much, oh, I can't, I got to figure out what this cliffhanger was, you know? So that's actually a pretty good setup. Uh, next up, God of War 2018 has surpassed 10 million copies sold since its launch last April. Congratulations to the team over at Sony Santa Monica. The game is fantastic. Our- if you have not played it yet, get on that quickly. One of the great things that we talk about every now and then on here that we talk about in Discord too, uh, as opposed to Nintendo who never drops their prices, Sony is great about dropping the prices of their games now. slowly. This game is $40. If you wanted to wait longer, you could, but I think the game was worth 60 Easily, if you wanted to get it at 40, bam, it's We announced it. last year that this won the Triangle Squared Game of the Year Award. And bam, bam, for that bam. reason, I believe we helped Sony Santa Monica sell probably around 80 million copies. So, <laughs> oh, if only, right? Yeah, you owe us some uh, royalties. Uh, some, uh, what would it be? Like some under the table uh, make, persuasion? Make what would it be? The bad guy. In the what do they call them? Influencers? Movie. You owe us some influence currency. Yeah. Give me that dog coin. Anyway. Oh, God. Or Dogecoin. Dogecoin. Sony unveiled a new unit in the company, and this is us moving, moving to the main into topic. the main topic. Just so you're while aware. You, while you read this big old paragraph. So your ability to sit still for a long period of time is just really degrading in these recent episodes. I did hear them popping. You want to hear mine pop? Look. I hope that comes up on the... If you can hear that, y'all let me know, because I have neck problems. So. Professionalism. Um, Anyway, Sony unveiled a new unit in the company that is dedicated to taking PlayStation properties and adapting them to films and television. Sean Layden specifically brought up Marvel, which is why we did that in the cold opening, as an example by saying, quote, we looked at what Marvel has done in taking the world of comic books and making it into the biggest thing in the film world. It would be a lofty goal to say we're following in their footsteps, but certainly we're taking inspiration from that, end quote. Opposed to other publishers who have leveraged their properties onto the silver screen, when you look at examples like recently we saw World of Warcraft to be a big budget movie that didn't really review very well or do very well critically, I mean uh, monetarily, uh, we saw the same thing happen with Assassin's Creed from Ubisoft. We actually saw the same thing happen from Sony themselves with uh, Ratchet and Clank, Um, which gets me into one thing I want to bring up real quick, but 
it, this is not that surprising. And I think the first reason I, uh, why I even want to talk about that is that I've seen a lot of people like, wow, this came out of the blue or this came out of nowhere. And that is not true at all. We've seen Sony mess with this idea and kind of explore it to completion with the Ratchet and Clank movie that's already been out and released uh, despite its performance. We saw them as they've been working toward the Sly Cooper movie that then was announced to have been moved around and changed into a show. And also, of course, the long in development Uncharted movie that's been in development hell for years since the first uncharted so when you think about that this is not new to sony but i think if anything the one thing about this that's mildly promising is that i think sony realized why those issues happened because they were all done outside of the sony fold and instead were like licensed out products what sony realized is that one thing that they have as a company is so many different sister companies that can help with this so they can leverage those to make all the problems that typically come with licensing your stuff out go away. So one thing that will happen is that Sony Pictures, which is a sister company for Sony, will be helping to distribute the content. So that's going to be inside of their own you know, ecosystem. So they won't be licensing it out to anybody. But production itself of the content will be handled directly by PlayStation Productions. So again, a dedicated team to handle this. Um, so that will be as opposed to licensing it out like we normally see. Uh, what I think is really cool about this, and I'm curious as your input on it too, Saul, there's a line from Sean Layden that I think tells me everything I needed to hear to at least understand that he's, they're in the right mindset, even if I don't necessarily think this is an amazing idea. And that is very specifically that he brought up that a lot of the time when you see these movies, and actually let me pull up the article because it's a great quote. Um, and I, I don't want to, I want to make sure I don't misspeak any of it. I'm gonna go find it real quick. Uh, Dead air on a podcast. There we go. Perf perfection. Perfection. <laughs> you can quote, you can see just by watching older video game adaptations that the screenwriter or director didn't understand that world or the gaming thing. Layden says the real challenge is how do you take 80 hours of gameplay and make it into a movie? The answer is you don't. What you do is you take the ethos you write for from there specifically for the film audience. You don't try to retell the game in a movie, end quote. And now that actually 100% ties in to what he's talking about with Marvel. The Marvel movies, whether you like them or not, what they do so well is that they don't try and focus on necessarily telling you a verbatim story from something else that's existing in the comics. Instead, they pull inspiration from the comics right around the idea that the comics had and then made something new out of that that feels familiar, reaches in, taps it into familiar characters that you know and love, but technically does something new with them. What do you think about particularly that element? That's that's the way to go. You, it's shown in history time and time again, recreating video games as movies or even just books is the one exception to that kind of media that I think works really well. But I do think that when you take a game and you try to shove what he's talking about, 80 hours into a two-hour, even three-hour movie, you're going to miss a lot of stuff. And then a lot of the stuff that goes by like that, you give the viewer the opportunity to watch a three-hour movie instead of play the 40-hour game, which for some people, convenience is key. And that could really work out for them, sure. But there's a lot of work and art that's going underappreciated that's not fitting into that movie. And I think that what they could do, what I honestly hope they will do, is they don't take a game and translate it into a series. They, and, that, and that's pretty much what he's saying they won't do. They take the lore surrounding the game and they build a series upon it. And yes. I think that's the way to go. I, I think that you could take the lore of God of War, 
you could do a, a mini series or a series a one season 11 12 episode series uh, of what the world is like in between one and two and i'm talking about the new god of war yes um, see and there's a quote that ties into that so i'm going to just say it for yeah. while we're talking about the continuity because i think it's it ties into that as well he says quote we want to create an opportunity for fans of our games to have more touch points with our franchises when fans beat a 40 to 50 hour game and have to wait three to four years for a sequel, we want to give them places they can go and still have more of that experience and see the characters that they love evolve in different ways. End quote. Uh, and see, that ties exactly what you're talking about. It What it allows you to do, and again, I don't necessarily know that I love the idea. It's going to have to be Sony... Sony proves to me that this is that this is a good idea. I think that they've done a lot to make it the best chance of being a great idea, right? Uh, or, or being a success. I will say that they've done everything that they need to do. I think to give it the best chance of being a success. Now, whether that ever changes my opinion on whether it was a good idea, to my own personal preference, I don't know. Uh, I am cautiously excited about a lot of this stuff. Um, but yeah, it, to me, it shows that they're in the right headspace. This is not saying that you want to do what they did. And I think this is one of the biggest things that they realized themselves with Ratchet and Clank, which was that they made a video game and a movie that were the exact same. So right. there was no reason to do both. It, it Realistically, the better way to experience Ratchet and Clank was to play the game because you got literally the pre-rendered cutscenes from the movie shoved into the game. And what you got was the exact same story from the movie, and you got to actually play through some of it and have a little bit more content and fun with it. Now, the movie, I guess, was technically cheaper. Pro yeah, probably. Most definitely. Actually. But without the gameplay element being in there to flesh out in between those moments, it ends up working out better in that sense. You know, The game adds a layer of fun to it that changes the way the, that the, the story and everything is it's viewed. It's a level of interaction. Well, because it's like it changes pacing completely, right? right. That's the other thing. Is that it, the movie is just constantly going, and you do everything in the game at your own pace and and around your own time. Whereas for a movie, I mean, you could technically pause and walk away and come back, but that's disrupting in a movie. In a yeah. game, it's different because you consume it differently. Sure. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that comes up here, and there's actually some stuff that we'll get into in reader mail next time around, uh, most likely, just because we'll dig a little deeper into we'll. Maybe there'll be some more news by then. Definitely with E3 coming around, we'll see. Um, but with this, they specifically brought up, and I'm going to see if I can find it in this article again. They talk about the fact that Uncharted is one of them and that it's already considered to be the deep in production route and they're moving it all in-house. Now, the upside of that, this is probably the biggest chance that we're going to get an Uncharted movie that's not terrible and, and completely misses what everything's for. It'll be an original story. Right. The biggest thing I'm curious about is, since that's already kind of been going and that they probably don't want to waste too much time and money on it, though they might because they realize how big of a franchise Uncharted is, what do they do with the movie at this point? Do they make sure that everything they're doing... It sounds two different ways, right? It sounds like he's saying he wants it to be a completely separate universe from the games to an extent. But at the same time, it sounds like he's saying he wants it to act as an as a canon addition to the story. Yeah, and one of my big things is that you could do a lot of cool, subtle things and stuff like this too. Because when you add in canon additions like this, you could even have like the ending scene, especially if you're doing something in my mind of like Kratos. I mean, not Kratos, God of War, having an in between, like just have Kratos's leg just like pop into frame as he's walking somewhere and then just cut and end the movie. 
And she's like, this is leading directly into three, right? Like, it'd be kind of cool. And I do kind of think that, or maybe you, I, I can tell you don't agree. Well, no, but, I, I was trying to get what you were saying. And oh, it, okay. I, re, I realized what you meant, that when you're watching the movie, there's a scene that looks like it's leading off. And like it's, and a, maybe it's the, the obvious cliffhanger of that's to set up the next game. Yeah, that's like this is a story of what, in between one and two. And then it's, two, it's ending as two begins. Okay, so in, in spirit of that idea, and I do see what you mean there. But don't you think that by doing this, to some extent... Do you feel like this puts a weird pressure on the developers to change the way they set up for sequels in their games? Nope, because you go with the story, and then you have the filmmakers craft the stories that they're going to make in their shows or TV movies. You craft these from already established arcs, and you craft them from already established lore. You have developers change nothing. Well, the reason I say that, and this is kind of where I was going with it. You put the work on the on the, on the producers and directors. I, I get that, but to an extent, don't you see that this would happen? Don't you could could you see this as a problem? God of War is a perfect example, actually. Uh, so what they could do, or what they one potential way that this could go is if they decided to do something with God of War right now, it doesn't seem like they're going to probably because a sequel's close enough and they don't want to go kind of that way. It looks like right now they're using this to bring back. Franchises that fans love that don't necessarily work in the gaming sphere anymore because one of the first things they're doing is a twisted metal TV show, and that's a game that we're probably never going to get. What I don't, even, uh, I don't even agree with that. I don't like the idea of that. It seems like it may be kind of cool for like a crime show. I mean, we we don't but know. It's weird, right? Yeah. There, there's a number of ways they could do. That's it, one of actually. the games. That's one of the games I don't really see fitting in live action. Well, we don't even know if it's live action. Yeah, I guess that's true. Because be the, CGI. when we're going back to, towards the idea of Sony being able to tap into all their things, Sony Animation Studios is a fantastic animation studio. That's true. So imagine the things that did they'd they do, be able did, to do. Did they do Enter the Spider-Verse? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that would be actually really cool to see. Uh, so like that's what I things. mean is it gives them the ability, and that that place has multiple teams, just like Pixar does. So that gives them the ability to have Sony Sony Animation make some of their animated content and still have the the PlayStation Productions in charge of it and involved in it very much like we saw Marvel involved with Insomniac and their work with Spider-Man. It, it was done by Insomniac, which is not under the Marvel umbrella, but Marvel was there every step of the way to consult and tell them where they needed to go, how to fit into this, you know, what to pull inspiration from, what they thought was a good or bad fit for the character to an extent while still giving the people their own creative freedom. Right. But where I was going at with this to get back to that is that, the, the issue I could see arising from this is that God of War is an example. If they were to do that and say, we're going to make a God of War um, series that takes place in between your setup for God of War 1 and 2, uh, now that might work this particular chance, right? If they're looking and saying, they talk to Corey and they go, Corey, what are your plans for God of War 2 so that we don't write in the time period that you're trying to start God of War 2 in or whatever you want to call it, the sequel to God of War 2018. Um, so what, where are you going to start the sequel? What time period are you thinking? That way we don't interject and ruin and have something that would technically not line up with canon of your plans for the next game, but instead we have something that can exist as a tie into the universe and it works can- canonically, but it doesn't ever interfere with something you were doing. That could work for the first game because they're already probably first talking about show. ideas. For, well, yeah, for the first and second game. But then does that make the, the way that they want to set up God of War 3? <laughs> Whatever you could. That's why I hate these naming conventions. But... Um, you know, the third game in the new trilogy or whatever they're going to do, if it even is that, would it change the way he'd want to set that up at the ending of two? Because he'd ha- you'd be thinking, well, if they want to ever have content between here, 
would I even do that or would I want it to would, leave there some space to let a show fill that up? Because would, no, 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 my it, example is God of War 2 to God of War 3, the original releases, not the new thing. Right. But the original God of War 2 leads directly into God of War 3. Directly. Bam. That's it. So when you think about it in that sense, if there is there a pressure on them to not make things that can that would be that way, or would it be like talking to Sony and going, "Hey, I know that you might want to use this time period in between to do something, but the way we want to set the story up to have the most impact would be that we go directly from the ending of the second game that we're doing now to have it go directly in the third game and really maximize on what we're doing, so that it has a real sense of scale and 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 pressure and existence in the world and like weight behind what's going on with it." And do they bounce that around with that? Or I guess what I mean is that it's just an added element of if this is going to be something, are the developers going to start worrying about potentially not giving no, enough room? and they shouldn't because... I agree that they shouldn't. Th- there but. should be a clear and concise agreement among the game developer and the director slash producers of the content that's being made, whether it's a show or a movie. Um, and they should collaborate with them, and they should work with them, and it's, it shouldn't be hard. It should be very streamlined without adding any de- extra developer stress. And this can all be done over conference calls and stuff, to my knowledge. Like I, I mean, storyboarding and stuff could be hard, but it still could be done through emails. And I, basically, I don't want this to add much more stress, if any, to the devs who don't want it. People like Corey, something tells me he would not mind having his world expanded upon by Sony in terms of a miniseries of some sort. I think he, he sure. probably would enjoy it. Um, my whole thing is is that I don't want whatever he wants, or I don't want whatever uh, happens to cause any extra stress on the dev team. They are already going through hard enough times making the game and worrying about the game. That essentially, well, at that point, it would be the writers, right? That would really be the people who would get the brunt of the problem from that. Because now it would be like, well, we've got to write around what it, they've done. Yeah, pretty much. And I think that there is also a problem there. Or not a problem, but a solution in terms of Sony going to these people and saying, hey, you have God of War 1, 2, and 3 scheduled to come out within the next five years. Where Do you want to fill us in with anything that we can make a TV show? Yeah. And then Corey sit down and be like, like I want is this, there, this, is this, there this, an this. obvious time frame yeah. that you feel like we would be able to have carte is blanche? There, and like what I think would be really cool, especially with the the um the comparison to Marvel, is that in say God of War I don't know, War. God of War War, the show, um, there's gonna be a really cool <laughs> main character in it. I don't agree that every time that there should be something like this, that they should always show up into the game, but it'd be really cool to see him pop up in like the last game, maybe come there to help. Oh, out. an original character that they create in a TV show For a TV show that, that in the comes game. into the yeah. game. There's that. But I think the other thing that I don't if think we're, it should be overused. If we're, but... yeah, if we're utilizing the Marvel comparison that they're kind of going off of, I actually think one of the better things for that is that Marvel have really thought about how to utilize people who weren't necessarily big and make them big by giving them their own properties. Ant-Man was, was not a commonly referred to big superhero oh, I for a lot of Paul people. Rudd specifically. I'm no, like, no, 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 no. But I mean the character of Ant Man. Guardians of the Galaxy was not really a big name in comics. I agree. That Guardians much until they came out, and then it became one of the biggest Ant-Man movies that they've done. Different, but Guardians, I agree. Ant Man's pretty well known for the most part. Ant Man and the Wasp. Well, I mean, I'm not going to say that they're it's, not well known Guardians in the is, comic thing, but I guess what it is, it's like. It's not a household name. It's not a common Where name. They, yeah, exactly. Adorable. Guardians became a household name right. because of the movie. It's but before that, it was only comic book enthusiasts. That a normie would know. Yeah. That would know. And still not even all of them, but some of them. I mean, so what you could do with that, though, is that it would give you the ability to kind of take the idea behind that and say, well, 
in God of War, the newest one, what if we're going to go a route where we start to explore time periods with people that you may already know? Because, like, you know, perfect example of that is before Spider-Man ever came out, Civil War had Spider-Man in it. Right, so right. it was like, well, now you see the character in our universe. Then we're going to show you his movie and his back and some other backstory stuff about him, or different side story stuff about him that's not pertaining to this movie, but does exist in this universe. And right. you could do that. One of the crazy actually, there's, there's been idea. a couple of different Marvel inter, uh, characters introduced with like the end scene stuff, like Nick Fury popping yes. up in Iron Man One. And well, then... and then Civil War was also the introduction of Black Panther. Right. Uh, it's like, and then they went and made a Black Panther movie, and now we know that they're making a Black Widow movie. And right. uh, even though all the stuff that's happened leading into now, it's like she's been in it from the get go, but they've never given her own side story until now. But that they because they go that route, they could do the same. Where this is just like a, a thrown around idea, but you know, obviously in the game, and I don't know if again, I don't know if I'd like this, but it just gives you an example of what you could do. There could be a series for God of War. And, you know, one of Sean Layden's quotes is you get to see characters that you love evolve in different ways. One of the things that you could actually do is experiment with other time periods, other things, and and pull in characters that we've already seen. You could go through and make a series that's about Brock and Sindri's life before Kratos ever came around into there. And you could understand and they could do something that plays into some of their interactions as to why they ended up feeling the way they do about each other when you're playing God of War 2018. Right. And that's a way to explain. And then that, what you could do is Brock and Sindri already became beloved characters in that game. And you could expand upon them in a side story and let them be the main characters. Yeah. And I do think that it goes to say as well that I don't want this to be a thing for major main characters. I don't want to see major main characters. Exactly. It's like, I don't this. want to see Kratos in a sad that, series. I want to see other people in the world to yeah. flesh out the world with like, other characters. I don't even want to see like Atreus. Like you said, I don't want to see him in Atreus or Taurus. Atreus. Atreus. Why not? Or Taurus. I don't it's know. A Dark Souls character. No, it's not. I'm pronouncing that wrong. Oh, well can't pronounce things, but, uh, <laughs> okay. what's new. Um, but I will say that, uh, yeah, it's one of those things that's really, really, really cool to see a, 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 a no-name, if you will, pop up in the lore in, in terms of a TV series, and then something happened where maybe through the second game he pops in and sacrifices himself or something. Mm-hmm. Like, you see towards the end he's going towards something, and you're like, oh, well, this is a cliffhanger. I can't wait for season two. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the second game, he pops in. And you're like, wait a second, I remember what this is. And then you see him running, and you're like, what is this? Yeah, and see, and then that circum- that actually surpasses what your expectation was, which is they're going to capitalize on this in the next season. But instead, they use it and portalize in the next game. And that is an interesting idea. It, now, this would be one of the issues that I think uh, some people might have or at least could be worried about right now, is that if you do that, right, let's say that your exact scenario that just went down, You'd want to make it to where in God of War 2, when you're playing it, if that character comes up for people that watch the show that he was involved with, they know him and it's awesome for that reason. But it also makes just as much sense to the people who are only playing God of War 1 and then went to God of War 2 and never watched the show. Right? It creates a a, a writing parallel. One thing it does do cool is that it gives the ability for the game writers to to do a little short mini collaboration with the show writers to make sure that they really nail the character down to where it makes sense. And they, they have to also find a way to introduce the character to an extent into the God of War game in this scenario while still giving people who did not watch the show a reason to understand why the sacrifice was crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that that is like, that is a, um, 
unlooked parallel for what I made too, because you 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 know you're playing, you never watched the show, and you're mm-hmm. playing the game. All of a sudden, who's this random guy running through here, jumping and sacrificing himself? It's like, well, that was random. Yeah, it, it and you this... wouldn't you wouldn't want that, right? So, but it's not to say that it'd be impossible for them to find a way to introduce him into that game for a short period. Establish the fact that some other point in time outside of this game, there was history between these people. And you could do that with definitely if Kratos and Atreus are not in the show, right, at all. Uh, and then you introduce this character. But then whenever they introduce him in the God of War and Kratos and Atreus are there and they can use dialogue to talk about the fact that they have history, establish that history, and then use a little bit of time to do some character development and building between all of them so that if he were to sacrifice himself, you'd understand why there's weight behind that and what it is. And that's just more of a, if anything, it creates an interesting writing challenge that would be fun and good and, and cool to use and be able to create a bigger, broader universe. But I guess... You know, that's what we're landing on, it seems to be, is utilizing this to expand a universe, much like we see uh, the the new Spider, I mean the new Spider, the new Star Wars video game, uh, Star Wars Jedi um, Fallen Order, is going to be an extension of the Star Wars universe that they're considering canon, but it does not interfere with anything that exists in the other timelines. Yeah, there's there's been, what's weird is there's two sides of this coin, right? There's There's the other side of the coin that has shown there's been multiple things that have been movies, and only movies. And then they've made games. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing where it's oh they've always been games and now we're making a movies or TV shows, you know, whatever have you. Yeah, which one's easier to translate from is the other thing too. Is it easier to to try and build mechanics and gameplay stuff around an existing TV show? than it is to take a game that might very much be driven by a lot of mechanical stuff. Like there's Prince of Persia is a perfect example of it that. It is. It is. Because the game you know, it was really cool to do the uh, Sands of Time mechanic. The movie did not pull it off well. Yeah, well, it did in terms the of first like, time. It, but it it was also hard for them to use, right? Because a game is set up for you to use something over and over again. But they really had like two major time travel times with in the Sands of Time Prince of Persia movie, and it looked good. But it was like it's obviously clearly missing. The mechanic was a huge part of the first game. But it couldn't be a huge part of the movie because it's too CGI intensive and too time laboring and you have to write reasons as to why you're doing that. And it creates different situations because unlike a game where you're playing through a situation where you run on the wall and you just fall, so you go, I'm going to rewind time so I don't fall, the movie can't quite do it that way. The movie's trying to constantly move with a story beat. Games, you don't need that because in the times where you're playing, what's keeping your attention isn't the story beat as so much as the gameplay and mechanical boundary. I think another example is something like um, and there was technically an anime for it, but like Devil May Cry, right? There's like, a manga for it. When too. you look at Devil May Cry and you think about what it is, it's like Devil May Cry is very much as much as people look at the Dante and the universe and stuff. It's also very much about the combat and the way the game plays and feels. How do you replicate the excitement of that mechanics and the and what draws people to it mechanically into a show? I've not watched. I've not read the manga. I've not watched the anime. I don't know how well that did a good job of. The manga, Translating it. the manga did a pretty decent job for my 14-year-old self. Like, I don't know what it is up to snub now, but... Yeah, well, but again, that also depends on what, what are you trying to translate, right? The mechanics of that are just high action. You can, re- you can replicate the fun of the mechanics in high action by creating a show that utilizes good fight scenes in that, high action. That's true, too, yeah. 
So it, it just depends. What are you trying to translate? Are some of the mechanics, I'm trying to think of like of a, of a mechanic in a game that's a little more subtle that wouldn't be as easy to replicate by just having high action, you know? Because that kind of works in some things, like yeah. translating a comic to a, video, to a movie because it, the comics are just about high action that you see in parceled out sections. And then you go, well, we're just going to fully animate that and that will replicate that if not, if not even heighten it. And then in a game, you can say, well, we have that, but we're going to make a manga. So what we're going to do is we're going to take that and we're going to splice it up in these things and then you still get the same feel. And then when we go to an anime and it's going to be fluid, we just take what you normally see in the game that you're doing yourself and we find a way to stylize that to where it works in the realm of this show to where you keep that excitement. But if it's something that's a little less, and I think like a good example in my mind of what I'm thinking is like, Lord of the Rings has a lot of things that it has to translate from the book to the movie yeah. that part of the reason those movies are so good is because they knew when to pull back and not all be about action. Unlike the Hobbit, which was obsessed with trying to be Do an action movie. we need that freaking barrel scene in it? Exactly. But that's because that's what Hollywood wanted at the time. You know, it's like, that's what they, that's what sold. So it's probably a lot of pressure to do something like that. Orlando Bloom also Unlike... sells really well too for not being <laughs> in the book. But the other thing about that is that the Lord of the Rings movies are so much better because they, and a lot of people don't even care for the Lord of the Rings movies who don't who aren't already fans of the books or the world because of the fact that the movies take the time needed to give you slow character interaction and then one of the other focuses of the books is about fellowship specifically and like time spent with one another and not necessarily high action so the movies aren't that full of high action they have enough to where they were going to be successful and because even for the people that didn't care about the in-between parts the action was there just often enough to keep you interested if that's all you yeah. wanted was high fantasy action. Uh, but when you look at it under the guise of the movies did a really good job of translating what the book wanted it to be where it's not all about war. War is part of the world as it is every world. Correct. But the the crux of the book is not just that. The it's crux the of the book is the character interactions yeah. and friendships. And it's the problems and, that people may have with the imagination and being able to visualize that where the movies did a really good job. Exactly. Was it the Battle for Helm's Deep? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And see, that's what I mean. And how does that work when you're trying to translate mechanics to a show? I know, or do you even do that? See, I know way too much about Lord of the Rings for somebody who's never watched the movies. That shows you how much I've read about them. You've never watched the Lord of the Rings movies? We've had this conversation one million times. I will let times. you borrow the, the Blu-rays. I have them in there. Why don't you guys let us know uh, what do you, you want to see that is a big, 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 big Sony video game franchise and adapted into either a series or a movie. Mm -hmm. um, and more importantly, and I think it ties into that, right, is do you want it to be something that acts as a uh, Star Wars-esque universe extension that plays in and ties in with the games, or do you want them to be freely, completely separate from the games and be somewhat similar to what Marvel did with Marvel Spider-Man on PS4, where it's not tied into any other universe. Instead, it's its own universe. Which one would you prefer to see? And which franchises that have not already been announced would you like to be see given this treatment? Yeah, I like it. Okay. Let us know in the comments, the Discord, the Twitter. That'll be our everywhere. community take for next week. Yeah, there you so go. Get involved. I will with post it. it so that you will be reminded if you want to give your input. But there you go. If you want to go ahead and hop on the Discord and shoot us over that little bit of information, do so. If you want to wait until I put a post on Twitter or Facebook, you can do that there as well. Do it. But with that said, I think this is the end of the episode. Yep. Unlucky number 13. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks to our patrons, Chad V, Dan Barber, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Douglas Below, Sean Santarude, Eric McAllister, Matt Sycamore, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Blake Popst, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanlin, Coy Live, Philip Laguerre, Corey Hickerson, Brian, 
Donovan Williams, Justin Rowe, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, and I know that your name is misspelled. I yeah, didn't get I was to fix it right before this. I'm sorry. I'll fix it right after we get done. And Thomas McKinnis. If you would like to support us, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash nartech or clicking down in the links in the descriptions. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys.